In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Paul Brown Podcast. My name is Ian. Right, right, right. I am here with a very special guest. We are going to talk today a little bit about the defense, a little bit about the leadership that's going on in the locker room. And I brought somebody on who knows infinitely more than I do about that, Mr. Rodney Bailey. Rodney, how are you, my man? Thanks for having me, Ian. I'm doing well. First things first. Uh, we all want to wish you a speedy recovery. Uh, I learned that you have a little bit of an Achilles injury you're dealing with. So the, uh, the prayers and uh, requests go here from uh, the Paul Brown podcast fans out to you for a speedy recovery, my man. Appreciate that, bro. Thank you. Now, to give everybody out there who may not be familiar with who Rodney is, so Rodney was actually born and raised in Cleveland, um, went to a very prestigious high school in the Cleveland area, St. Edwards High School, um, Athletic Hall of Fame nominee, Top 40 recruit coming out of high school, went to the Ohio State University, uh, played under head coach John Cooper there at Ohio State, uh, was co-captain his senior year, all Big Ten, uh, defensive player of the year as a senior. Uh, in my opinion, probably should have been a national champion if it wasn't for that 1998 Michigan State game, but that's, that's a conversation for another day. Um, Rodney was drafted in the sixth round by the Steelers in the 2001 draft, uh, finished his seven-year career with 84 games played, nine and a half sacks, 20 tackles for losses, played for the Steelers, the Seahawks, the Patriots, and the Cardinals, and actually was a member of the 2004 Super Bowl 39 champion New England Patriots team who beat the Eagles 24-21. So when I'm looking at two aspects of the Browns team, both the defense and the leadership in the locker room, this is a man who is infinitely more astute to talk about these things than I am. So Let's start with the D-line play, a position that you played your entire career at the end. We're looking at the 2019 Browns, and the strength of that team is on paper is the talent on the defensive line. You know, we've got Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, Sheldon Richardson, and Olivier Vernon. So, Ronnie, please tell me with expertise that you have, what type of advantage does the team have when you have this type of talent on the defensive line? Oh, it's an uh, uh, embarrassment of riches up front. Um, the, the front four is uh, explosive. They play hard. They have a lot of upside because you have a really mix of young and old together. You have Sheldon Richardson coming off his best year as a pro last year. And in a fire cell, we, we acquired uh, Olivier Vernon from New York where they basically said he didn't have anything left after being an all-pro. He has an axe to grind. He has a lot to prove. And, you know, any given game, he can explode for two to three sacks. The guy I with the in there, uh, on the other end, who is getting all the attention, Miles Flash Gordon, who is, I mean, dominating offensive tackles with this bull rush move. He really hasn't even – he doesn't even have a pet move yet, and he's already one of the best defensive linemen in the National Football League. And it comes to – the wild card, the nose guard, Larry Ogan Joby playing the one technique in the shade. He's a penetrator. He's about 302 pounds, 
and he's a hard worker, and that's that's just his his makeup from being a young kid who was overweight at 350 pounds as a kid who changed his whole body. And I mean, he gets off the ball. The only downside to that, what I just said, is they're all undersized for NFL play in this defense. Moving them can create too many lanes. What I see with this athleticism is you can use that on third down, but in the regular run game and first and second down, they have to buckle down and they have to kind of play old school football and keep guards off linebackers so those backers can run and make plays. They've had a great year too. I think Steve Wilkes would agree when he says that it is an embarrassment of riches. So Wilkes, we saw on Sunday night, kind of ran a little bit of a modified front versus the Rams. Not sure if maybe that's specific to them. I know the Patriots used that that modified bear where they took the tackles, moved them to the outside wide nine, and then even in some cases moved the ends inside. But when you have somebody like Steve Wilkes, a veteran defensive coordinator, what type of schematic advantages does that give him having that embarrassment of riches and talent on the front? Well, the fact that they can uh, pretty much play against any type. The only thing I'm seeing probably like as far as spread, they do a really good job of that, but that's what, that's what people are doing to that front. They're changing the formations so that you have to go to a nickel or to a, to a dime, spread everybody out so that they don't uh, kill you in the run game with their penetration. I mean, Miles Garrett is getting plus pluses on runs and on passes. He's taking guys into the backfield, and they're creating a natural separation on the line on stretch plays and on inside plays where Wilkes, um, you know, you've got a scheme for him, but where they're starting to do a little bit too much, I see, is – you know, getting into the zone blitz stuff a little bit too early. I think that what they, what, what should be done is to just get them to get to third and eight, third and seven, so that you can get to see what these players up front really can do. Everybody wants to pass rush. I know everybody wants to pass um, on first down nowadays, but this is a whole different NFL. So you do – they are mixing it up with that, but – the only downside is their size. I think that's the only thing that's, that's could have hampered them. As long as they stay healthy, you're going to see a lot of sacks for Cleveland. Yeah, one of the things I actually – I remember, I think it was Joe Thomas talked about when he was talking about Miles Garrett, was his, unbil- his ability to uncoil from the feet. And he said, Miles' dexterity from where his ankle and his calf kind of locks creates this insane amount of explosion off the line. And that's why – he sometimes can just almost get around the left tackle even before the guy gets into his drop set. So it's kind of wild. And we saw a little bit of what the Rams were doing with Aaron Donald uh, on Sunday night. And we come in here to the Baltimore game where there's going to be a lot, you know, a lot of run discipline principles needed. I think we know that Greg Roman really likes to utilize, you know, the extra blocker quarterback draw. So, Wilkes will have a little bit of a test this weekend. What type of defensive line adjustments could they make going into this Baltimore game um, to make sure that they don't let Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram go crazy? Well, you know, the first things first is, you know, it is up front, and we know how Baltimore has been over the years. And, of course, they have Orlando Brown Jr., who is punching people left and right. I mean, he's destroying people out there this year. Their their, 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 their bookend tackles are the game, I think, coming up against Baltimore. You know, Miles Garrett has proven that he can set the edge against anybody. A tight end can't block him. He's been taking, he's been setting the edge for our linebackers to run, as I was saying earlier. Uh, the the other thing is too, that schematic matchup. He exploded a couple weeks ago um, against the Jets, and he's getting more turn turn toward him protection, which means he's getting more double teams. Everybody else on that defensive line is getting one on ones, which they're very capable of winning. 
And as long as Olivia Vernon can get a one-on-one, I, there's not one guy who can just block him one-on-one. Well, you make a great point about the linebackers. And, you know, I think that sometimes people forget and gets lost on that defensive side how much of an impact your D-line can have on even the back half of your defense. I know we talk about front seven and back end, but, you know, you played on lines with guys like Kendrell Bell, James Harrison, Joey Porter. They were behind you. You know, I know in Arizona you had um, Lofa Tatupu, you had Carlos Dansby. So in your career, when you're playing next to guys like Brett Kiesel, Casey Hampton, how much of an impact does that D-line have on the guys behind you? Because in Cleveland we've seen – Joe Schober, Christian Kirksey, you know, and they got Mac Wilson stepping in now. We've seen a definite uptick in their play. You know, and a lot, I know a lot of Browns fans in the offseason thought that a guy like Schobert is disposable. But then when you complement that with that D-line, what type, of, what type of benefit does that give those linebackers? Well, I got, the, the linebackers um, are doing a, a really good job of not getting sucked up in the run game because they trust their defensive line so much to get off the ball, which – like Joe Thomas is right about those ankles and up from and me dealing with torn Achilles in my whole life. I know about coming off the ball, dealing with uh, with Miles Garrett. But where the line, the D line will affect, I believe, a very good secondary with the Cleveland Browns, even with guys injured. They're very good because they they stay with their guys, they stay close in coverage, they talk, and we haven't heard much from them. We haven't heard much about them having a problem, even with all these injuries. The way that they'll help the back end up front is relentless pressure. Like I said, that's going to come with first and second down controlling, stopping the run. This, this, I, the only thing I look at with the front is that these aren't the biggest defensive linemen playing up front or the front four. More guys nowadays are around 340, 350 inside, and we're not that big inside. So that's what teams are going to start doing. They're going to come back and start running this power play inside and the wham play because they have a penetrating nose. I see them having to keep the running game basic. So in the early calls, just it's not something defensive linemen like to do. Let me tell you, D linemen don't like to keep linebackers off or keep keep guards off linebackers. But that's what wins you game. <laughs> kind of boring, but it's true. <laughs> no, I. I... That type of stuff is never boring to me. I know the Browns have kind of that rotational D tackle and Devereaux Lawrence that they utilize a lot. He's got a little bit more of the size. Um, so I think it, we may even, if that's the case, just going off what you're saying, we may see a little bit more of him to add some beef and size to that front line. Now that you say that, I'm sorry to cut you off, but oh. now, now that you say that, it reminds me of when I played in Arizona where we had an undersized Three four front that we were switching from a three four three to a three four, and all the schemes. And me, I was the big guy. I was the guy who would come in and back up that nose, or back up um, Darnell Dockett and, and left end because I was the bigger guy. I was the guy who would be playing the double team and not get moved. And that's what they do. They have to. That's what's going to start happening as the season goes on and the weather starts to change, especially in Cleveland. Teams are going to come down and just put two big offensive linemen on the. You know, we, everyone's doing it even to, to Aaron Donald. He's not the biggest guy in the world either. They're starting to put two people on him and expecting other people to beat you. So I think that that's something that they have to look forward to going forward is watching the scheme. It's been a three-game breakdown, and they haven't played bad. But, uh, you know, people start picking up on little things you do. Oh, I absolutely agree. The one thing I think, to touch on your point from before, we saw on Sunday night was an entire secondary. We're, we go out there with our entire second-string line uh, secondary guys – and they, perfe- they performed well against one of the top offenses in the NFL. 
And I'm sitting there watching the game and I'm like, there's no way that we can't attribute some of this success. And that's not taking anything away from, you know, Justin Burris and the guys back there um, who really stepped up. But I think we saw a lot of the game being controlled in the front. So when we're talking about the secondary play, other than, you know, short time uh, in coverage in the sense, if we can get more pass rush, they don't have to hold up as much in the back end. Um, what type of schemes, if you can, are able to get pressure with four, does it allow you to do in the secondary to really control some of these high-powered offenses like the Rams and, you know, keep guys like Hollywood Brown from getting over the top? You know what? I believe today's game, especially when you're coming up to play against a quarterback I've never seen as fast as Lamar Jackson, the best thing you need to do is all four of these athletic defensive linemen, you got to work together. We call it pressure cup in the pocket where you got to keep one eye on the quarterback as you're rushing, and you got to stay in your rush lane. We've saw other places around the league this past uh, couple weeks now. Uh, Daniel Jones is a star because he stepped straight up in the middle and scored a touchdown because the defensive line totally ran out of their rush lanes. As long as they keep their rush lanes, these, these four are pressure rushers by pushing the pocket. They don't – the good thing is a young Miles Garrett doesn't have a pet move. He just pushes the pocket – and he collapses, they're really good when they all four work together. That's going to be important because this quarterback runs, I don't know, he runs a 4-2, 4-3, I don't know. He's fast as lightning. But um, that's, how they, that's how they're going to really help the DBs out because what they showed from the defensive back standpoint, even being a bunch of backups out there, was they knew how to stay close. And, and the coaching is unbelievable for young guys to come in and play against a team that was just in the Super Bowl last year and has the offense they had and, and make it a professional look. Now, I know the city of Cleveland is not happy with just hearing, hey, they play good, but this is a place where they're going to grow from. These guys are going to get healthy, and they're going to be better. I think they're going to play well this week, actually. I do, too, as well. I think that I don't use the phrase must wins and must losses and all that other stuff, but I think this is a game that you're going to have a real good feel-good win. I think, you know, after they're able to take care of business against Baltimore, I think the season perspective is going to change a little bit. Um, but coming a little bit away from the, you know, the on-field schematic and stuff, we're going to go into the locker room with this D-line. Because one of the things I see that John Dorsey has done is he's tried to partner some of his young generational talent with savvy veteran guys. So we watch an old savvy vet like Olivier Vernon. We have uh, young generational talent in Miles Garrett. You know, even on the D-tackle line, uh, part, we have Sheldon Richardson next to Larry Ogunjobi. So off the field, you know, what do you see an impact like that, having that veteran to go alongside with them, having for the longevity of their careers? Well, the thing is, is that uh, Dorsey's seemingly created a home for those gentlemen up front where, you, yes, you have a, a, a battle-tested Olivier Vernon from the, who played in New York in the Big Apple, you know, amongst all the lights who's, you know, you know, on paper, it looks like we can say he is a great mentor to a young, impressionable Miles Garrett who has done nothing but be a humanitarian around town and do all the right things, and, and uh, that's a good mix. Sheldon Richardson has a story to tell. He's been through a hard time, and he came back like a bat out of hell last year and played lights out to rejuvenate his career. Like I said, Larry Ogunjobi is a very special, very special player to have gone through what he's gone through as a child coming here from Nigeria and becoming obese, changing his entire body out there in Charlotte, and then coming into the league, and his, he just has a hard-working attitude, a hard-working mentality. That's the best place to be in Cleveland, that nose guard. 
And it's a really cool mix. The one they have to stay healthy, and yes, they bring the younger guys along. And and um, I see that there is a definite connection and a nucleus. The way that they can work together when you're off the field, going to eat sushi and hang out together, that brings a more of a camaraderie when you come to the field and play. Yeah, I think people should remind, you know, a lot of times the D linemen don't get the uh, the praise, but somebody should remind Larry Odendobe, you probably remember this from uh, our childhood, Michael Dean Perry, I believe, had his own sandwich at McDonald's. So you oh, can be a very <laughs> respected D tackle in the city of Cleveland, let me tell you. It's actually, and it's historic. I mean, going back a little bit, you know, you go from, first it's, uh, you know, Bob Golick. You go from Bob Golick to Michael Dean, and then, you know, it's it's been a, uh, then my friend Sean Rogers, he played, I mean, it's, the, the nose guard position is a is a hard-working blue-collar position, which is very respected. The thing about the Cleveland fans that I love and being from Cleveland is the fact that Clevelanders can't be BSed. You have, they know the game. <laughs> some do. Some think they know more. It, it's quite funny sometimes. But, yeah, I know I see your point. And, man, I remember those late 2000s they brought in Sean Rogers. What an animal that guy was. I mean – the athletic freak that he was at what about 345, 350? I seen him do a three three sixty dunk at three fifty. <laughs> that is insane. On a ten foot hoop. I remember we used to watch, watch him he swap play basketball, field goals. Yeah. yeah, he used to swap field goals like they were just gnats at a barbecue. It was insane. Man's athletic, real good guy. So well, I want to take that leadership conversation into the side of the team, you know, that I think probably gets the most national media attention. And for those of you that don't know, so in Rodney's seven-year career, he played for four different coaches. Three of them have won Super Bowls. You may have heard of them. Bill Cowher, Bill Belichick, Mike Holmgren. Settle down, Browns fans. It's okay. And a veteran offensive line like Ken Wisenhunt. So we bring in this tight end coach from the Cardinals, which you may be familiar with. I believe you were there at the same time. Um, what, do you, what do you remember about Freddie from your time in Arizona? Freddie is a winner. Freddie, I, I was a, um, a defensive end for the uh, Arizona Cardinals in my final year, and that's when I met Freddie. Freddie was an offensive um, – he was a uh, tight ends coach. And I had a lot of interaction with him every single day to walk through the locker room. Uh, he's a team guy. He is one of the boys. He's one of the good guys in the NFL, I, I can say that. And um, Freddie has been around nothing but a great offense, you know, being in the same room as – Guys like Kurt Warner and um, uh, Larry Fitzgerald when he coached for the, when he was a coach on Ken Wisenhunt's staff, you know he ended up going to the Super Bowl with them against the Pittsburgh Steelers the following year in 2008. And uh, you know the coaching tree that he's a part of, where he, he calls and talks to Bill Parcells, that's all real. I mean, Freddie is a real coach, and I love Freddie's approach. And I know it's getting a lot of heat. He gets a lot of heat when he, he doesn't win, but he is a running back coach that just turned into a head coach and it's they're going to make mistakes but the thing I do like that people don't see that we what we look at the during the uh, press conferences is he's doing what all the best coaches do he's putting all the pressure on himself he's he's taking all the hits when you make mistakes on fourth and nine he's owning that I know everybody doesn't want to hear that but he's doing it for his team and when you're saying about when we segue into the rest of the offense, I know that Freddie's a great coach and he's going to be um, a better coach as long as you do the basics. As you go, we can talk more about that. Yeah, and I actually, in my post game for the Jets, I'd mentioned the same thing. So I think most people that have been in a locker room, obviously not to the high level that you were, 
understand that what we get from our coach on the field in the meeting rooms better be the same that he's perceiving to the media. And in this case, you know, one of the things I really liked that Freddie did was he said, listen, I get you all want to be Monday morning quarterbacks, but you know what? It's all me. Just give it to me. I think the maturity and the leadership that that shows, I mean, you got guys like Odell, you got Larry O, you got Vernon, you got some studs. Garrett. If you're giving them different speak, then you're out there in the media. And I think one of the things that Hugh Jackson even kind of struggled at was that perception that he gave to the media, like, well, I'm not 100% sure it's this, or I'm not that. Freddie is the opposite. He's up there like, nope, it's all me. People are out there trying to dissect audible calls on fourth and nine. He's, he's not going to throw Baker under the bus. He's not going to throw Todd Munkin under the bus. He's not going to throw Ryan Lindley. None of them. He is, he's Kevlar when it comes to that coaching staff. You will not talk bad about his staff. And to have the ability and the self-confidence and awareness to do that, I mean, I think that's really going to speak volumes for him inside the locker room, and it's going to translate to pretty quick success. Let me talk to you about this. There is a – this is kind of how this works out with this offense. You know, this is a first-year head coach – who was a, was a position coach before he was a head coach. And this is a sophomore quarterback. He was a second-year quarterback in the NFL, and it's been the first three weeks of the season. This is what he, you know, this is the way it played out. You know, one and two going into Baltimore. What I know Bill Cowher and Bill Belichick would do is something I'm sure Freddie's doing. You got to use the city of Cleveland. You got to use the fact that that city is upset with this guy standing here who is taking all the brunt. He's going to hold it. The stars know what the stars got to do on this offense. That's not a problem. This is the time for the us against the world speech. If you need, I've heard guys saying it already this week. If you're not um, talking or you're not, we're not listening to the noise outside of this room, that kind of stuff. You know, they bring the team together. We play for each other. You can look on Instagram last night. Baker Mayfield got upset with a fan. You can see it's starting to boil over. Guys are getting upset. They got to keep that energy together and take it out on the Ravens. And that's what those coaches that I played for that won championships would do. At this point in the season, it's a lot of noise, a lot of stuff going on around, well, why didn't you go to um, the Stars down the stretch to try to score his last touchdown? All these questions. I watched um, Coach Coward go through it when we made mistakes on offense and stuff like that. It's a hard week for these head coaches. They come back in and tell the players, hey, they just chewed my ass out there. Go back me up. I'm sure that that's what he's talking about right now. Yeah, I think the one thing that Browns fans sometimes misinterpret is, is, you know, we, we have our expectations as fans, the expectations in the locker room. You know, nobody's going to expect more from those guys than them guys themselves. And, you know, you're on teams where you're coming off Super Bowl wins. I mean, you're coming off of high expectation. I mean, even with your time at the Patriots, I mean, you're on a team of the millennium there. So you have these coaches and, you know, you even brought us into that locker room to share and how they go about it. I think we have to get there from that standpoint, because right now our expectations are all in the media, you know, but you've got guys like Odell Jarvis and all these ones that outside noise. I don't, I can't see it affecting them that much. I mean, no, good point. Because look, as we already saw against the Jets on Monday night, 89 yard touchdown, the stars on this team are going to do what the stars do. It's time for the blue collar working men guys on this team to pick it up. I'm calling out Mike Prefer and the special teams to stop being so pedestrian, calling out the kickoff team. You have to lead the charge and it's got to be, the offense and the defense are figuring it out, and they are. It's time for the set special teams 
to take that next jump. We hear about them every week, but they have to become a part of this. And every time I won a game um, when we were um, with the other teams that won championships, our special teams was up there in the top five in the National Football League. You check it. That's what gets the teams over the hump. Also, the, the Cleveland Browns as a, as a whole after the first three games, I'll have to say their whole team energy just needs to pick up all the way around. Jarvis and Odell are going to do their thing. All the stars are going to do their thing. Baker knows what he has to do. He's a first-round pick, and there's a lot of pressure on him, even on Monday nights, and there's going to be more um, national televised games for us to be on. They know it. It's going to be a tough season, but right now at this point, it's time for the hard hats to come to – this This offensive line is getting Rodney Dangerfield respect. They're getting no respect. No one's talking about them, and that's what's going to help this offense do what they need to do. you got a running back to have 14 carries and 96 yards quietly. they got to get him going. He had 96 yards in this last game, and it's like he only ran the ball 14 times. Yeah, I, I'm also probably the president of the Nick Chubb fan club. I think that guy – has endless amounts of talent. I mean, you know, a lot of people are talking about that fourth and nine play, and it's if Eric Weddle, who's a savvy safety, doesn't come up into the box and make that play. I mean, Chubb gets to the outside. You're not oh, stopping yeah. a bowling ball at six yards from getting an extra three. So Listen, This is how it works, bro. You're right. This is exactly how it works. If it worked, he's a genius. If it didn't work, he's an asshole. <laughs> exactly. Like, what are you doing? You know, the Monday morning quarterback. Right. You know, you're – what's Let's go back because, you know, you've been in locker rooms. I mean, just for the people that don't know, I mean, Rodney played with some guys you've heard of. Heinz Ward, Jerome Bettis, Tom Brady. I think we've all heard of him. You know, <laughs> Teddy Bruschi, Vrabel. Um, for all our local ESPN Cleveland listeners, you know, Gerard Cherry was a teammate of yours. Um, yeah, the man. You have this type of situation going on. I remember a couple years even before you got to New England, Belichick did his whole, I'm going to bury the ball. We're going to forget about this season. Then they go on to win the Super Bowl. So when you have leadership like that inside the locker room, you know, what type – are they the ones that get this change or is it something that's on the coaching staff? You know, who's going to really drive the bus of making sure that the culture inside that locker room stays tight and these guys grow together? You know what? You just said right. It, it is a concept of what the business is. Players play and coaches coach. And we – it's not about closed-door meetings or, or nothing like that. This is a profession where your profession keeps going as long as you keep winning. So we, you have to put forth that effort. You have to put forth that energy, and you have to rally together. Uh, just to use my Cleveland uh, Indians term, even though they're out. I love them to death. <laughs> but we do. We have to come together with this, with this uh, mentality. And I, I'm going to tell you, man, I played my first three years in the, in the, uh, with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. By – Two hours before the game on Sunday, Bill Carr has gotten this team so mad at the world, and we are so close together. Like minutes before the game, there's tears in dude's eyes just to go out. And I mean, it don't matter if we're on the road or at home. It was really his his words were embrace it. You have to embrace everything that's going on with everything that people are saying negatively about your head coach, negatively about what the offense is doing negative about who you got to play and, whoa, we got to play um, Lamar Jackson and, oh, boy. You, you got to find a way to rally together, let them go one ear out the other and just go and win. It's just really that simple. And it really comes to um, unselfishness, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and I'm going to say it again, special teams. I was on special teams my whole career, doing all kinds of stuff that people would never believe. 
Special teams is what wins games in the National Football League, high school, and college. We don't talk enough about it in the media. It's the special teams. We, they're too pedestrian right now. They're it's not crazy. doing – We talked about that. We just saw an example of it. Was it Thursday night? Packers are up, what, 10 nothing. The kid right. from Philly, Miles Sanders, breaks off, what, 70-yard return? Boom, Philly's right back in the game. So, Right, and it changes even – in, even in Lambeau Field, that changed the whole momentum. Yeah, and that's they just gone down, scored, boom, they go up two scores. In the next play, they're inside the – I think it was a 67-68 yard return. They're inside the 40. Three plays later, they're in the end zone, 10-7 Philly. Right, and let's go back to the other thing. You know, the media has an axe to grind. They like to pick on Cleveland for a lot of things. You know, we did the drive for so many years now. You know, the Cleveland Browns won the, the, the preseason with magazine covers and, you know, splash trades and, and free agents. They won the preseason with that. It's not their fault. The players aren't even thinking about that. The players are thinking that this is, this is the journey that you want to get to that next journey, the playoffs. So, you know, this, they're in a, this is the first – this is September. This is the first month of the year. The playoffs aren't made or lost in this month. They can get it together, but the one thing I got to see out of them is health. Health and special teams are the two biggest things I can tell. You're going to see more big plays out of the – you know, everybody – you're going to have that game where there's DBs on on other teams who just don't want to see ODB – ODB, ODJ, OBJ. Good rapper. (laughs) OBJ and and Jarvis, they don't – there's some guys who don't want to see them, and and they'll pick pick them apart. But they have to get that – Thing that we were really good at in Pittsburgh, and even you watch New, even New England now, they're good at making the game ugly. And sometimes that is just getting three ugly yards, and the game is just like that. You can watch the defense on the other side and say, "Man, this isn't what I really came out here for." We used to do it. We win games in Pittsburgh six to three. That's how you end up winning championships. You win these ugly games, and it has to sometimes be that way. We can't. The the, the players who are our stars are going to make the plays that we want. They just got to just get into a rhythm. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could disagree with anything from that. So, if, we're, if you're – so, I think you and I may be on the same page. What's, uh, what's your thoughts for Sunday? You think the Browns uh, bring, bring out a win from this game? You know, it seems the Browns got a little bit healthier. I'm a little bit um, – I don't like hearing that both, both corners are questionable, but they'll play. Uh, what we have to look at is that was that, – that game last week between Kansas City – and Baltimore took a lot out of both teams. Baltimore lost a few players, too. So everyone's going into this game pretty much even. I think that Cleveland has the advantage because, like you, and like I heard from the, our great quarterback, Baker Mayfield, who, I mean, he, he, was, he wasn't too bad, but he had a few things to say to a fan yesterday. You can taste the fact that these guys need a win. And that's how it should be. And that's how you get better. You go to a place and you beat them when they said you weren't going to. It's the only way you become a champion. <laughs> I think Baker feeds off of that, back him into the corner, and then he loves to just come out punching. And, and you know, I, as a, I've had to grow up. I don't play ball no more. I'm almost 40. And as a defensive lineman, our job and our lives to hate quarterbacks for it. And this gentleman, with his moxie and the way he speaks, from a defensive standpoint, you would take offense to that. The fact is that this kid wants to make it work. He wants to make it happen. When you have that kind of energy and have teammates that back you up, I don't see him not uh, being more successful than he has been, than he's going to be. This is, this is a learning process. And I think that and we all were. 
everybody, game one, Cleveland, we're from Clevelanders. We are a crazy football city. We love football uh, all day, all night, all the time. So when the first game happened and they put 40, Tennessee put 40 on Cleveland, it left a sour taste in my mouth. But I don't think this is the same thing we've been going through for the last 20 years or so. Um, and Freddie, Freddie is um, going to surprise some people. I think that's the best thing I can leave them. He's really going to surprise some people. He's got a bunch of guys on that staff who have so much head coaching experience too. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that a lot of times you rely on the guys' locker room. And I actually remember, I think it was like a week ago, um, former Browns center LaCharles Bentley, people were talking about Baker's regressing. And he even said, he goes, no, he's not regressed. The man is still learning. Like, you know, we always see these early signs of success and we're like, oh, that's the baseline. And, you know, I think LaCharles really hit the nail on the head with that one. And he said that this type of adversity, you know, that's created from the outside helps these guys come together. So, you know, yes. And there's one thing, you know, you got everybody on Twitter and, you know, even on ESPN talking about he always rolls out to him going to his right. Can't you see that the offensive line is makeshift right now and injured? They have to concentrate to make this number one draft pick what he is. You got to protect the pocket. Like, I mean, what you saw out of Philly the other day is they protected the pocket and gave uh, Wentz time to get, make some throws. When Aaron Rodgers is at his best, no one touches him at all. It's all about protecting the quarterback. You really can't judge a young man who's in his third game in his second year. He's still a rookie to me. <laughs> who doesn't know this game yet, running for his life, trying to become Brett Favre because his line isn't there yet. It is unfair to all of us that Joe Thomas had to retire. <laughs> we, this is where he should be right now. That would be a great left tackle for them. But, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things that they have to work on. It's definitely once you bring the, the cohesion with the offensive line, you're going to start seeing a, a, a Nick Chubb, a quiet running back. That's what you want. You don't want a Le'Veon Bell big mouth. You want a quiet guy back there who just, he just rattled off 96 yards on accident. If you can give him the ball seven more times, he's going to get you at least 160 and two touchdowns. Be able to take the pressure off of Baker. He's a young man running for his life trying to make all these plays. You're going to put him in a position to throw more interceptions if you don't secure the line. <laughs> and it's pretty – they know that. I mean, if I can sit here and see it, we can talk about it. Anyway. Yeah, I always tell people that the same thing. I'm like – if you see it on Twitter, I have a funny feeling that the professional football coaches and professional GMs, you know, we got three of the most touted guys in the front office, John Dorsey, you know, Elliot Wolf, Alonzo Highsmith. And yet you'll see people out there like, what is he doing? He doesn't know. What he, how does he not have a tap? It's like, come on, guys. Like, hats, off, hats off to that crew. They don't get enough credit so far in the year because they've been through a lot. I know Dorsey has, and he's brought in uh, a new team with uh, Highsmith and everybody. Hats off to what they're doing. This has been a very, very bad um, collection of books to pick, pick up from GM to GM. And I see that this has been a very good job because I know as, as Clevelanders in our minds, we want playoffs right now, but this is going to take a little bit to get together. You have the pieces. You're going to have to draft a little bit more later on. But this group right now can win. They can win. I know people picked them to win the Super Bowl. But I think that what they have to do is just win this next game. When you win this next game, it builds more trust. All of all, the whole exercise is about building trust. Yeah, I, I agree. And 
Um, actually, to wrap up, I got a funny story. I'm not sure if you remember this, but you know, I was driving down here. I'm actually uh, in Colts country, and now I'm down in Indianapolis. And I think you're down in Florida now. So I'm driving yesterday, and I was like, oh, I got Rodney coming on. It reminded me. So one of the times we were chatting way back in the day about football, uh, my brother, was. we were going through different sports, and we were talking about what we could do on a professional level, blah, 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 blah. And one of the things that came up was, could, could my brother get a yard rushing on the NFL? And I still remember you looking over and just quietly going, you wouldn't remember it. <laughs> now, to give people context that, my brother's about 170 pounds. And Rodney, you're about, what, 6'5", probably 315, 320 at that time? Yeah, I'm about, let's say, I'm about – I think I'm around 290 now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, yeah. <laughs> for those that don't know, so I go to shake Rodney's hand way back there. His hand is double the size of mine, and, I, and I'm 6'2", 215, and his hand is just – so when people talk about, oh, it's not that hard in the NFL, then you stand next to somebody like Rodney, and you're like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't survive five minutes there. So. I gave you big man credit, though. I mean, I just, I'm just a little bigger than everybody else. You're still a big man, too. That's what oh, was funny. Yeah, not, not like you. I actually made a joke one time with, uh, with Andrew Hawkins. I said to Hawk, I said, man, if I had speed like that, I could have played on the college level. He looked at me dead in the face and goes, man, if I was 6'2", I'd be worth $100 million. Hey, and listen, bro, that's what I'm saying. Like, this whole thing with – that's – I remember you telling that, – that story you told me about your brother, and it was quick. <laughs> but what ends up happening is you, you look at – you see what running backs go through on third and one. And I've stopped a lot. Of, and it ain't just me. It's like 11 other dudes hitting it. <laughs> well, That's a lot of times saying. there's fans that say, I'm like, oh, on fourth and one, why aren't you plowing the quarterback forward? I'm like, do you understand that is putting your quarterback through a car accident? Like, I, you know what? I've gotten soft because I, I, got, I was watching the Miami game, the Miami, Miami uh, New England game, and it was on the goal line, and they left the, 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 the A-gap wide open, and Tom Brady dived through for a touchdown. And I got scared for him because he's 42. I'm like, I don't know why he even – even though they were up and they were winning, I'm like, that was pretty ballsy because, I mean, a guy can get hurt. Listen, you were talking about how big I am a few minutes ago. These defense linemen now are monsters. They are way bigger than us now. <laughs> they might put them as a certain size on, on paper, but when you see them, they're, they're like mountains. Uh, I mean, they're, they're always over 340. I don't even, if you want Tom Brady or somebody to get fallen on by that, it's going to hurt. They're old. Yeah, I, I remember we were down – the Browns were in Columbus a few years ago, and I remember we were walking around those guys. And the time the Browns had Danny Shelton, Paul Kruger, and I'm just looking at these guys like, these dudes are massive. I mean, Danny Shelton's thigh was the size of my torso. I saw him getting on the on, on the bus or whatever with the Patriots the other day and saw him. I've never seen thighs bigger than that. <laughs> well, the crazy part is we had Johnny at the time, and I remember Johnny walking next to me, and I was bigger than Johnny. And I stopped for a second. I looked. I said, "Wait, the dude that's smaller than me is going to outrun those guys?" And I'm like, "This, this, I don't think this is going to work." Well, the thing about that too is um, we do that in, in, in times if players who, who are playing. I see it now. It's different than it ever was in the NFL. That's why I say it's a different league where you got like guy like Tariq Cohen, who's an unbelievable player, but he's he's a size that they never at one point when I was playing would ever put on the field. You know, I think that Danny Woodhead ten years ago might have changed that. And of course Darren Sproles, but you don't have and then of course, you said Johnny. Johnny Johnny football, I mean, not that you're not athletic, it's just that there's a they still want, coming out of the draft, they still want a 6'5 quarterback. 
about 220 pounds. But now they want him to run a 4-2. When I was playing, quarterback could probably run a 4-9 or 5 flat and get away with it. But not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, there was one. I think Tom Brady said his, he can run a 40 now faster than he did at the combine. I mean, that tells you right there how that game has changed. Yeah, it's, it's changed. And the way we train changes. And, and um, you know, even just recovery from injuries. As you get older, you and as I'm dealing with a torn Achilles right now, I mean, it's you, you just – from your playing days, you remember how to help yourself get back into shape. It's, it's part of the business, part of, you know, growing up, actually, after playing. Absolutely. And, you know, on that, why don't you let the fans know uh, where they can find you on social media? I know you're on, uh, you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. Um, so why don't you go ahead and plug your details for everyone out there to give Rodney a follow? Yeah, I'm just having fun uh, recovering. I'm in recovery season right now, but you can find me on Twitter. Rodney Bailey at Hacksaw94, and on IG, Rodney Bailey94. And I'm just always having fun putting something positive out there, talking to the kids, giving them wonderful uh, advice on how to do this. I believe it's a responsibility after um, the things that I've seen in my career and in my life to be able to pass it along and help kids out and just be able to give them a, a positive message every so often. Absolutely. And, you know, I know where you grew up in Cleveland, so I know, you know, a lot of times those kids see somebody like yourself who was able to overcome that adversity. And then when you walk in probably with that Super Bowl ring that, let me just tell you, is the entire size of my knuckle, that is not a small uh, piece of jewelry going on. I'm sure the kids just have these bright eyes and, you know, probably makes their day. So, you know, I know that a lot of us out there think, you know, former athletes like yourself are going out there spreading that positivity, really helping to give back to the kids because, you know, there's a young Rodney Bailey out there somewhere that sees that, you know, you come in and spend some time with them and it means the world to them. So, you know, definitely well, to you and appreciate, you know, all that you do for the younger generation out there. Well, thanks, man. One day at a time, we all working together. Each one, teach one. We're just trying to get better, baby. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So um, let's touch base towards the end of the season. We'll take a little bit and see how the, uh, the Browns D-line is going. But a uh, speedy recovery to you, my man. And uh, get, well, get well with the Achilles. And, you know, hopefully the Browns can get us a win on Sunday. Get us a win on Sunday. Go Browns. And, yes, we will do a pre-playoff show for the Browns. At, absolutely. I'll, I'll actually be at – I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm down here in Indy. I'll be at the Colts-Raiders game this weekend. But I will be oh, okay, close good. tabs. Close tabs on my Browns. I'll have my earpiece in one ear. And uh, I'll be rushing back to watch the uh, recording back in Chicago on Sunday night. So Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, you know. thank you again. And uh, – you know, the Paul Brown podcast succeeds for, you know, with guests like you. So thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. I enjoyed it. Thanks.